is expecting you. Yes, hello! Welcome to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, Book 3, Episode 2, The Headband. Today on our show, we have Corey. Hello. Welcoming back Charles after a brief hiatus. Hello. And new guest to the show, our good friend Chris. Hello, Chris. What's up? So, Chris may be an interesting uh, guest for us. Most of our guests we've had will we'll start to say, and they'll, they'll start by saying, well, I've been watching Avatar for a really long time. I've always loved the show. But, Chris, you're a bit more of a, a newcomer here, right? Yeah, I think I kind of like watched occasionally back in the, when it first was out or whatever, and then I binge watched everything about six months ago, I think, something like that. I don't know. I got onto you told me to watch it. I watched everything. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and all of Korra right too. afterwards too. Well, I do that too. Um, so usually with our with our guests, I'll kind of ask, you know, oh, what's your relationship to the show? What have you thought? But um, kind of not being as nostalgic here, what what were your sort of thoughts? Big picture about the about the series uh, when you watched. Big picture, it was good. More well, better developed than most anything I watch. Um, like the whole arc for three seasons, you know, actually was satisfying. Yeah. A lot of times it didn't. There was not, not that much filler. There was still some filler, but you know, it was a. Yeah. Uh, I guess you could say it was concise to the point, and you know, it was all meat. You know. Well, except for Ang, who doesn't eat meat. Uh, sure yeah why not? does come up in this episode incidentally all right so let's start talking about the headband um charles why don't you kick us off with your initial thoughts on this episode yeah uh man I, i'm honestly if i hadn't seen the show before i'd be kind of surprised at the book three episode because we spent a lot of we spent a lot of book one kind of veering away from this type of or from Aang's storyline at least this more lighthearted kind of episode and um, the, the whole point has been like his progression and growth as a person so it's but it, it's kind of nice because book, book three all in all has some pretty pretty rough moments I don't mean rough isn't bad I mean rough isn't emotionally invested um so, I don't know, I, I liked it. It was a nice change of pace, considering what's coming up. Mm-hmm. All right, Corey, how about you? Um, I kind of disagree with Charles. Like, though this is a, definitely a heavy comic relief episode, there was a lot of serious undertones, like obviously the Zuko and uh, and uh, Iroh stuff. And then even with Aang, like Aang having like the serious talk with them, saying like, no, I finally feel like a, like a kid again this is like the childhood i've missed out on which is like obviously like what the underlying uh like uh tone was for everything with the uh thing with Aang. i thought it was a needed comic relief um there i loved seeing like the fascism of their school system but then i also think ang got away with too much like if this was like real life i think ang like would have gotten expelled or maybe like even like you know in more trouble but Again, they played it off for laughs, but it was fine. It was charming, and uh, overall, I, I really liked the episode. I, I thought it, it it really dives in the Fire Nation culture in a way that you don't really see. Okay, Chris, how about you? Um, based all the same stuff. What what level of fascism would you would you give the Fire Nation in this series? I don't even know. Like it's it's like a, it's I think it's a step over North Korea because they're still like giving false information and having like you have pictures of the leader. It could be like even like 
I'm not, like China never really made yeah. it to like. Because I'm thinking though. like, would would you say if you said something wrong, do you get taken to a camp Hold and like on. never heard is, from again? That's the Earth, that's the Earth Kingdom. <laughs> is oh, this point. Yeah, technically right. fascism though? Okay, what? Uh... It is technically a monarchy. No, it's fascism. I feel like it could be two things, but I don't know which like, two things. Just, just to, just to say this. I mean, I guess you could argue this is fascism, but if you, if you do, like, the Fire Nation is based loosely on Imperial Japan, which I guess is has some fascist. Which they were fascist. All right. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Unless Charles, were you about to say something? No, no, that's right. a... that's fair. We'll 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 get into that in a bit. I want to let's finish up our initial thoughts. Um, oh yeah. Anything else, Chris? Uh, same thing. It just like it was weird coming back to this after not seeing any of this series in probably a year or something. When did I watch it? It just like if you pick a random episode to watch, this is a weird one to pick randomly. You know, you always go back and pick like the finale and stuff. But like this one, you just come back and watch this. It seems very different than every other one. Um, Tonally, at least. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, this episode's really, really weird. Um, I don't, I don't really know how to how to process a lot of it because I agree with Charles that there's a lot of book one feel to it. Ang is is definitely closer to his silly self, and quite frankly, this is a, a perfect time to kind of piggyback a discussion that Corey and I were having last week about uh, the first episode, which was. You know, the ideas that were brought up in The Awakening were pretty good. There was some really interesting stuff going on there. However, I wish that it was extended out a little bit further and we got some more time to really savor it and dive into Aang's mental state. And I think that this episode, I think, really encapsulates that as well, where it's like, there's some stuff in here that's good. There's actually some visual stuff in here that I really love. The music in the episode's great. The Zuko stuff aside is, is outstanding, and that's a, another another story. But for the Yang stuff, it's like I kind of look at this and I'm like, eh, I feel like I want more meat on that Ang coming to grips with where he is in the world now as opposed to what we see in this episode, which is he's, he's extremely happy, he's extremely optimistic. This episode, nothing quote-unquote bad happens. I mean, EA gets called to the principal's office, but like – for the most part, it's like things basically work out and everything's good and it's very lighthearted. And I understand the need for that in this, you know, as Charles said, but there is a run-up of some some pretty heavy episodes. Um, you know, we're, we're not that far from something like The Puppet Master, which might be the darkest episode in the series. So I understand why you want to have something a little bit more lighthearted, but I kind of just, I, want, I wanted more of Aang's emotional state last episode. And this episode doesn't do a good job of making me like, you know, Saying, oh, well, I guess it's fine because we got this. It's like, eh. If you, if you had traded me this for, like, a continuation of last of, of the plot from, from the last episode, I, I would have liked that more. Um, what so was the last episode? Uh, so the, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> I kind of just, like, hopped into this one, no context at that's, all. That, that's fine. Uh, the episode before this was the first episode of Book 3, The Awakening. It's the one where Aang has just awoken oh, yeah, after, yeah, right, after right. being shot with lightning. Um, I do remember now. He, in the end, he runs away and then realizes he needs his friends, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. So as we did last week, and I think we're just going to stick with this format from from this point forward, at least until episode 13, we'll do the the gang stuff first, and then we'll do the uh, Zuko stuff second. Um, just allows us to be a little bit more uh, condensed with, with the initial stories. So um, 
right off the bat, I think that there's uh, one thing I thought was just interesting and more of an observation. But do you guys think Qatar was a little too, I don't know, okay with stealing? Uh, maybe. Yeah, she got she got jumps right in there, right? <laughs> um, I think it's more so for the necessity of it. They had to do it, or else. They wouldn't be able to do what they were doing. So, yeah, no, I, I think it's fine and within character under these circumstances. I mean, is it that is it really that out of character for her to steal? I she's mean, a two, she's a law-abiding goody two-shoes, I'd say. Didn't didn't we do this whole thing in book one when she stole the fucking water scroll from the pirates or whatever? All right, that's fair. Um, and then I feel like there was something. Something in book two, but I can't remember. Um, what a book two of Qatar? Not really. It was it was the water ritual. I don't know. It's just it's another one of those moments. It's like played for laughs, but there's kind of something. I don't know. They are like stealing clothes from people. I will, one thing I will say that I that I found a really nice trick. I love the idea of the Fire Nation like they're drying clothes over these like heat vents. I just thought that was kind of funny. Although in theory that's steam and would make the clothes wet, but you know whatever. Getting over that. Um, is this heat? Wait, what actually causes those heat vents? Is it like water evaporating underground? It should underground? be water from underground, typically. What if it's volcanic? Is it different? Still, I don't know. Unless that's smoke, and they're literally smoking. Um, like they're literally smoking their clothes. I don't know. That seems seems odd. Yeah, if if you see smoke, it's usually steam. So it'd be. I don't. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. We get into the school, and, and I want to have a quick discussion about this because this is not this is really less to do with Avatar and more to do with all of media. But where did the trope come from of, like, the nice girl that's friends with the new kid but is always immediately dating the douchebag? Like, is this actually a thing that happens, guys? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did you go to high school? Excuse me. I did go to high school. And, yes, <laughs> I understand that a lot of girls were attracted to – you know the douche. You know what guys. it is. You know what it is. They were so attractive that you didn't realize that they were also awful. That's what it is. I just there's something about this specific interaction here that, like, for a girl who's totally like, I'm gonna be really nice to the new kid who's you know kind of quirky and kind of funny, but is also like dating the rules following like rich guy. I don't know something about that. I, I feel. Maybe I'm just completely missing something, but I just don't feel like that's actually true to life. You know what? You know what trope bothers me more. If we're gonna go into tropes, how they always do the thing where like, oh, here's the new student, but there was like, they just drop them off in a class, and like, there's no questions asked. Like, even like in America, it's like you don't just like enter a class. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you gotta like fill out paperwork and like. Well, yeah, but I think that that's more. I think this is more okay considering the time period as where is it to say that like you are in exact it's not like there's you know computer records of this of this student's records it's not like you know everyone has identifications i think that there is something a li- i mean yes it is a little weird that just like the truant officers pick up a kid and they're like put him in school and then therefore it must be fine but i think that time period does allow it to be a little less it's it's not like things are as formalized as they are. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong there. 
Yeah, I mean, back to your other point. It it really isn't a thing that happens, but people want to say she's too good for the gross dude, and you're trying to take her from the gross dude, and it feels good when that happens. That's really that's all it is. I mean, I, I yes, I know, but I I don't know. It just seems it always <laughs> if you want to see if it, is it based in reality, not really. But. It just, it's always been one of those things I've seen, and I'm just like I don't I don't fully understand it because I don't understand what like this girl sees in this guy. I don't. I don't, there's, it doesn't, and again, maybe I'm yeah. looking at this as, the, as that, a, an adult and not a high school student and life is, is different, but I don't know. They're into the bad, they're into the bad boys, Mark. That's all it is. But I don't even think of him as a bad boy. He's not like, you know, some edgy. Money? I don't know. He's just like. Yeah, money's good. He's money's boy, also there. Money, fine. I guess that's fair. But that seems more like a thing that older women want. Like, you want the money and security. Have you, have you seen Lil Tay? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I could be. This is interesting. Um, I have to say, because we like to point these out, absolutely classic um, soccer line with, I am a fan of Secret Rivers. That is as peak soccer right there. I, I love that line and everything that it stands for. Does it stand for something? Just just the, the idea <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that soccer is just like, he hears the idea of this secret river. And it's like, ooh, well, yes, we must learn about that. That must be important. It's like... It's secret probably, anything, yeah. Probably All not. about it. Um, so, obviously, this episode has a lot of footloose in it um you know the 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 dancing as a as a metaphor for freedom um which is interesting because i feel like this is one of those weird moments and you guys can uh, definitely speak to this a lot more than i can but i feel like philosophically the the no dancing is more of a western especially like a christian kind of thing um and doesn't feel as eastern to me i can you guys talk to that at all? Like, is does that feel as like a Eastern thing? As like essentially a amped up version of Japan being like dancing is bad and you shouldn't do it because it's gonna corrupt the youths. Again, it's more express. It's more like expression is like free thinking. It's again, I think it's again more onto like a fascism thing than a religious thing. No, no, I, under, I understand that, but I don't know. It There's something about it that feels – it feel, this, this episode to me feels very rooted in what – I think the way people in, in more Western society see the world. Like this to me feels like short – very clearly shorthand that we in, in Western society understand not like – real but the kind of this this idea of a town or a or a society that has said you can't express yourself through dance because that's that's not right you can't you know you must be much more proper and and and, and controlled and all of that and it's funny because i can sort of think about that like the way in like korea like in uh like say like korea like soccer players they they don't show emotion like showing that you're better than someone else is not a thing that you do in their culture it's just you're very proper and you know polite but then they also have K-pop, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so dancing wouldn't be that. But so I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm curious if, because I, I think the show does a really good job of sort of having a world that feels very distinct 
to itself. Yeah. Everything really fits fits together. Um, the mythology... Doesn't feel Asian or, like, Western or whatever. Yeah, it, it draws from a lot of different influences, but it, re- it all feels cohesive and together. And all of the cultures... Yes, obviously, the, the Water Tribe is based on, you know, the... On, you know, people from, um, like, Eskimos. You have the Earth Kingdom, which is, you know, loosely based on China. You have the Fire Nation, loosely based on Japan. You have the Air Nomads, loosely based on Tibetan monks. But, like, philosophically, it feels like a very holistic world. And this, to me, felt just a little, like, 2000s cartoony, American cartoony for me. Like, this whole idea of being put in a school where you're a new student and, you know, it's a very short pollen, but, like, you have to deal with a bully and the town doesn't, like, allow dance. I don't know. It, that seems... yeah. I, think, I think in the end, that stuff comes from, like... New England, like, Puritan type of mm-hmm. culture, right? Yeah. Sort of, I think. I don't know. But, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean... I, go ahead, Charles. Maybe not dancing specifically, but like Corey said, it's a metaphor in the first place. So you're basically looking for any, like, any kind of free-thinking, free you know, moving activity that a, basically a fascist wartime government is going to look to prohibit, and then you can make a pretty long look. Could you see dancing on something like that? Uh, maybe. Yeah, also I... also consider that, like, um, the fire... There was dancing was... in Soviet Russia, also, right? They're, like, also, do you mind, they're not, like, banning... Like, it's not like dance is a banned activity. You cannot dance ever, like... You know, the guy does say you can march in place and that's fine. Um, I just I just feel like this episode is trying very hard to like essentially to like lean into the idea of Footloose. Um, and I can't see Footloose working outside of a Christian town in the United States. I feel like. That's... Well, no, look at it. Look at it like North Korea. Like you can't even get like like a certain haircut in a certain way let alone dance in a way that's not like government approved i do it more like that but north korea i think is different in the sense that like i don't in no like north korean society is a hundred percent oppressive to the point that everyone you know there is no rights whatsoever there are clearly like rights in the fire nation like yes it's a it's a wartime absolute monarchy we can we can discuss the fascist elements to it especially the fascist iconography of it but i don't think of the of fire nation society like for actually citizens of the fire nation as like they're having terrible lives like if you live in north korea you have a terrible life unless you are one of the absolute select few members of the government it doesn't seem like regular average people in the fire nation are like suffering or anything yeah sure but i think it's more so less of uh your poor your bad lifestyle more so than how they treat the populace and indoctrination no but that, that that's my point i don't i don't feel like that's the case i don't feel like people in the fire nation are like docile and and can't you know they have no political freedoms and no freedom of expression or any of that. It, it, 
it feels more like obviously you can't go after the Fire Lord and criticize him, but much more it's still not that restrictive. Like it's like I understand what you're saying with North Korea where it's like in such a restrictive society that like if you say the wrong thing in a market, you might get picked up by the secret police and, and thrown in a, in a work camp. This doesn't feel anything close to that. This feels a lot more just like a society that has been kind of indoctrinated into, yes, you must worship the, the, the emperor or in this case the fire lord, but it's not like totalitarian in the same way. At least I don't, yeah, I don't, get, that, I don't get that sense. Because when I and when I mean so that, like it, it doesn't feel yeah. to me like it's not that dancing is illegal. It's not that the government is like if you dance, it's against the law. It's more like it's culturally understood that that's not the proper way to behave. And like you see it later on in the beach when May is talking about her childhood, and it's like you know, don't speak unless spoken to. And sit still and, and behave and and kind of the idea that it's it's a society. It's not that it's sort of the laws on the book say if a kid talks out of turn, that's wrong. It's it's a it's a much more cultural thing. And I guess what I'm saying is that cultural thing feels a lot more like a puritanical Christian United States thing, and not the thing in the Fire Nation and. Understandably, this was written by Americans. This was written by people who are drawing on stuff, and I don't think it's necessarily a, an awful thing. But I'm, I just some, I do question a little bit in this episode whether or not this this whole plot line really fits within the world that was created with Avatar. Yeah, I agree. So it's just it's its own unique type of thing, though, right? Yeah. I mean. I- I think Corey was about to bring up China, right? Maybe yeah. Mao, Mao Zedong, like his pictures everywhere, like tight community, conservative. The uh, semi-prohibition on being literate and actually reading political treatise, which is more enforced by the people around you rather than the law itself. That's, That's a pretty apt. It's uh, a pretty apt comparison. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm just. Maybe I'm just looking at this entirely wrong. I don't. I'm not. I, I think. I think the dancing element. Obviously, they were trying to make a Footloose episode that had a lot of comedy elements. Like that's completely correct. But at the same time, I don't think it's out of Avatar character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I again, I don't. This is not awful. It's just. It's just something I've been. I just something I've been thinking about since I since I watched the episode this time. Um, so one thing I want to say though is I, I think that the what they do with the actual dancing itself, the execution, it looks so good. I, I was like really impressed with how with how just how great it looks. Like Ang and Guitar look outstanding in the in, in their the dance. animation or the just but like the animation, the choreography, oh, yeah. how it it feels like kind of a blend of a fight but also a dance like it i don't know i i that really was i thought it was great yeah it was like a it was like a school dance but like not an american school dance it was like i don't know it gave it its own unique flavor it's yeah good. 
Also, their their Alfred's are way better in this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Alright, to me. No, no, I I, I guess just that yeah. kept that whole time. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is the um, I think that the show, and this is kind of what I was talking about a whole like the holistic world that's created. I think that the um. I think that Avatar does a great job of sort of building this world and it felt the dances that they were doing felt like the kind of dances you would do if you've been trained to be a bender the way we've seen bending. Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Which, which I, I, think, which I think is rare. I, I don't think I see that very much in, in shows like, or in, in, in media like this where, you know, the idea of like how people will, move and react is influenced based on their sort of the martial arts that they're learning. Um, yeah, like every everything is based upon ending, right? Mm-hmm. So how they live their lives, how they dance, how they, you know, it makes sense that how they dance also is the same way. Yeah. Um, I think it's less common in Western media, but you find a decent amount of that kind of thing in... Um, and like the Chinese movies from the nineteen or the Hong Kong movies from like the nineteen. Oh yeah, like stuff. training to be in, in like Hong Kong theater is basically training to be a martial artist and training to be a dancer at the same time. Like yeah. Jackie Chan type, yeah, that stuff. It's yeah. choreography, which is great, and cor- Jackie Chan's choreography is incredible. So seeing yeah. that that sort of animated here is really it's just great. I, it, you know, it just it just speaks. I think the attention to detail in this show sometimes, especially with the animation <laughs> and the choreography. Is that what it's called, Charles? The 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 school he went to is it like Hong Kong? Some... It's like I can't remember what it's called. Hong Kong Opera. Opera. I don't. Know. I'm googling yeah. this. Uh, I just remember that like his whole filmography is based on like the Chinese opera rhythm, and then he changes the tempo a little bit to make it his own thing. Um. But like even in those movies, or even like those people in real life see that the way they move and behave is very based on what they've been you know, mechanically drilling into themselves to learn. Um, if any, I mean, it's fictional. Well, it's semi-fictional, but the uh, the way Yip Man... Oh, it's uh, Peking Opera, by the way. Peking Opera as well. Oh, Peking Opera. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like you... Especially in martial arts movies, you get those people outside the context of their, uh, outside the context of the fights, and the way they behave is very reflective of their martial arts. Like the ones that are more counter-based will be more passive until provoked, and the ones that are more aggressive will just straight up be more aggressive. It's interesting. Um, a small, a small thing I also want to say, kind of about this episode, because I feel like this episode is like. It, things actually ha- obviously happen really fast. How in the world did Aang pull off this dance party? Like, where did he get the band? Like, <laughs> yeah, who who's who knows how to? I guess it, he was in the class, right? He got the class to come out. I guess, and like, he's known these kids for two days, and is like, hey, let's yeah. go break the rules and go to a secret dance party in a cave. Um, I, I you know, I think that this. Is kind of also part of it. It's like I feel like there maybe needed a bit more, like set up so that we could understand how, like how big a deal was it that all of these kids are in a cave dancing? Like, are all of them being sent to a coal mine now, or are all of them just like, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and it's fine, no big deal. And also, like, 
Did he the epilogue is just them all trapped in a prison now. <laughs> did he just like discuss with them and is like, you know, all right, if the police show up, everyone just quickly put on a headband so I can escape. Like that was a little we also a little weird, like how they coordinated that thing. I mean, I still think Aang has been getting away with murder since he went to that school. That's like... true. I mean, you're right. But don't worry, Sokka's gonna give him the punishment of a lifetime. Yeah, I actually love that. I guess I have to ask this: What do you think happens to these kids? What, what, what's the after this this experience? Where what, what's the what's the response? They were never seen from again. <laughs> never heard from again. <laughs> I don't know. That's scolded, right? Like we're reading this is not that big a taboo. Yeah, if it's not that big a deal, they part like. Detention. I don't know. <laughs> That's not, that would be my guess too. I'm just a part of me wonders. Like, did I just like condemn these kids to a really, really tough life? <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say no because it was too lighthearted an episode for them to be damned. Now. I would. I would agree. In in um Invader Zam, there was a lever that the teacher would pull, fall into this underground classroom that like had a fire and stuff. That could be it. <laughs> that, yeah, okay, I can say. I remember that. Um, also, can we talk for a minute about about uh, the the name that that Sokka comes up with? Wang Fire. Wang Fire. And Sapphire Fire. And Sapphire. <laughs> like that was that was a little a little on the nose there, buddy. You, you, I feel like Sokka can should have come up with something better than that. I originally wanted to say that like it kind of bothered me like how idiotic and stupid like the teachers and the administration were but i'm just then i just remembered it's just a comic relief episode of avatar like i'm thinking way too much about that never say that that's not allowed on this show. <laughs> the entire premise of this show Corey, is us to go way too deep and spend hours discussing whether or not the footloose metaphor was appropriate for avatar the last airbender i'm not i don't i don't i don't appreciate that all right um, anything else you might just want to say about, uh, about the gang before we move on to the, I don't know, darker side of this episode? Um, I mean the, uh, are, are we doing the full thing or? No, no, we're we... going to talk about Zuko after this. No, no, I mean, but are we doing the, uh, no, no, we'll... the like very ending scenes for the gang here? Or... Yeah, sure. What, 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 what happened? Is there anything else in the end? Hmm. It... Oh, and gets a oh Katara gets did, a kiss. Katara did kiss on the Ang on the cheek, so yeah, I'll I'll take that in my pocket. That's cute. Yeah, that was cute. That was nice. I mean, I, all right, you want me to if I can to give my quick. This was a good. This was a good Cat Ang episode. Nothing deep, but you know, you can definitely tell that they had some. They had some dancing chemistry, and I and I would I would use this for a brief moment, Corey, to sort of push back against your. Clearly, they're friends, but Katara never showed any interest in Ang. I mean, you, you get close to anyone being on the road with them all this time. Like, of course. <laughs> okay, fine, good. Just, just wanna, just wanna make sure. Wait, hang on. So, is your theory Stockholm syndrome, <laughs> or is it, <laughs> or is it a uh, that it's just inevitable after long close contact? There are like two episodes where I see it happening. Like, there was the cave episode, and then. I guess you could so argue this episode. what you're saying is when Aang and Katara are in a cave, 
it's on and when it's not it's it's nothing yeah she's like well i guess i'm gonna die here i guess i have no <laughs> i don't hey you know what that's actually a real thing right like this high pro effect or whatever Fuck, the what this the suspension case? bridge effect like if you propose if you ask someone out on the bridge they're more likely to say yes and if you ask them out on like flat ground that that thing or whatever I don't. I don't that, like. That just sounds like. That just sounds like the the implication in how. Uh, not how um, fucking. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> she won't say no <laughs> oh, because of the, the implication. implication. It's the implication of the. <laughs> of, of course. No, we never do anything, right. but the implication. <laughs> hey, so you know. I just grew, I just googled that, and now it's I got a, a Wikipedia article saying the misattribution of arousal. Um, <laughs> so I don't think that's it. So it, it, it's basically a fear boner. That's exactly what this is. This that's, I, <laughs> I don't like where this is going. I'm going to, I'm going to table it. It's when you, when you think that like you have intense emotion, which you think is arousal when you're actually just terrified. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Katara's got a fear you boner. You can't apply <laughs> that in this episode. She's not afraid of anything. She just dances. She's afraid of the Fire Nation coming she's in. A, yeah, and she's an enemy territory. Oh, be quiet. <laughs> Picking you off my own show. <laughs> All right. On that lovely note, we're gonna we're gonna move on to the other half of this episode, which is Zuko and Iroh and a little bit of Azula and May. And um, I guess we kind of, in our initial thoughts, we kind of all talked about um, Ang. So why don't why don't we do a second round of this? Why don't why don't you guys give your initial thoughts on kind of overall the Zuko the Zuko side of this episode? Um, Corey, why don't you start us first? Uh, I, I'm at this point, like, miserable. This is, like, the worst time to be, like, an Iroh Zuko fan. Like, seeing Iroh give Zuko... I don't agree with that, that, for the record. What? I don't agree with that statement, for the record, but go on. Well, for me, it is. I mean, see, having seeing Iroh give him the silent statement to, like, where Zuko's like, come on, just say something. Make me just feel better about the decision I made. And, like, he's just, like, not saying a word. And then you see Zuko just get bitterly angry to say more mean things to Iroh. And then, like, yes, I remember what Iroh's, like, ultimate conclusion is in all of this, where he says to him, I was never mad at you. I was disappointed that you lost your way. So, like, I now that I know how this, like, that ends, I feel a lot better about it. But when, you, when I first viewed this and it looked like that, like, Zuko just ruined everything, and like they're never gonna rekindle. It's like a miserable time right now. Right, Chris, what about you? Um, it's a, it's a turning point, right? This is where like he's turning over from being a shitty person to being a good person. So like it's 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 the pivot point. One of sort of one of a few. Like, okay, sure. sure, but like <laughs> Zuko has a lot of pivots. Okay, but, but like from what I remember. This this is where he like mentally breaks himself and then switches over like fully, but yes, maybe not. That, okay. that, yes, by the by halfway through this book, he will. Have, yeah. So so, yeah. I don't know. It's a. Uh, this isn't the episode. It's not the episode, but it's it's the it's the lead up to it. I don't know. It's the. Yeah. Well, whatever it's called, about to be at the peak, whatever that thing. Yeah. Yeah. The rising action. The rising action. That was it. Sorry. Um, so yeah, it's just. Yeah, same. Basically, that. Um, also, I love how like she shows up and like, uh, what's her name? And he's just like, we're we're, we're busy, and he just starts making out with his girlfriend. Like, that's your oh, sister. Yeah. That's fucking weird, man. And then he continues. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's 
<laughs> what? If my sister walked up to me like with me and a girlfriend, just like we're busy, just you just I don't know. I don't know. That's a weird or just alpha as fuck. I don't know one or the other. <laughs> Get out of here. Um. Well, when you if you're, the thing is, your sister is not like a sadistic uh, manipulator. That's <laughs> true. Why, so. Yeah. Um, all right, Charles. What about you? Uh, I mean, I I agree with Chris. Although, like Zuko is the real flip floppy kind of character, but that that's the whole point of his his uh, design, right? Like he's got these his inherent nature, and then his upbringing is two conflicting forces, which are always in tension, and sometimes one is more important than the other. So this is like the... You could say it's the final momentum change, I guess, or it's like the... uh, From here on out, it's pretty much all going to be towards, oh, I'm going to be the person... I want to be that I feel like is a good person rather than his father and his father's expectations and Azula's manipulations. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of that scene, though, I enjoyed it. I thought that was pretty. I thought that was pretty bold. Which uh, one? The when he walks up to her, or she walks up to them? Yeah, when she walks okay. up to. Them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she is that gloomy girl after all. Yeah. Although she also has her own power play, where she makes uh, May leave. Yes. She's like, you might have her, but I have even more control. Well, Lizula's in control of everything. And yeah. He needed to untangle one of her braids. It's very serious. It's very, very important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of funny because we don't talk, or at least to my recollection, we haven't talked too much about Azula. As of yet, other than, oh, she's like the sadistic, perfect, you know, fire princess to date. Yeah, we talked a lot about her, her the, the stuff in, in the finale with, with her and um, uh, Long Fang. Oh, gotcha. Probably the deepest um, as well. Random question, since I don't know if I'll be on her uh, that often. Hot crazy scale, where would she be? Azula? Way, way on the crazy side? Have you seen the beach? <laughs> uh, yes, but still. Um, way farther on the crazy side. In the last episode, you see her with like, out makeup on, and like she's just like very basic looking. So, like, <laughs> right. She's way she's over. She's also an animated video. character, so I don't know why I even asked that, but I'm still, not, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going with the no, you universe the way clearly people in the universe look at her, she's okay, yeah. obviously way too insane. Like she, it's not yeah. close. I'll be the contrarian <laughs> and go the other As way. You always are, Charles. Well, consider it this way: if you give her what she wants, she's not crazy. And therefore, uh-huh. by definition. <laughs> no, no, that's yeah, that's not it. <laughs> that's the definition of crazy. Do we no, need to have but... a quick talk about? Um, you know, Getting manipulated over here. Words and and what and no, what their actual meanings what, are. No, but what she wants is actually literally her birthright. Like, well, it's not literally the, the fact it's that technically Zuko's. Well, he was banished, so after he was like twelve, her her right, you yeah. know, her rights to the throne, her rights to rule. Was she ever? He, uh, this is the fact that there was a, Do you think she was actually ever made heir? 
officially after the after very right? end. But while Zuko was off traveling, uh, traveling. There, there's no um, there's no called? There's no like has to be a male heir right thing in Avatar. I don't know. Um, in the Fire Nation, think... technically we have no idea, but. We do know that a woman becomes Fire Lord after Zuka. Yeah, that's afterwards, and we know which is that, a whole new... It's basically a new government at that and point. And we know that Ozai was going to make Azula Fire Lord without any real statement that that would be a change. So I'm going to say that it's actually fine for a woman to inherit the yeah. throne. But I... Probably men come before women because most societies at that time yeah. were patriarchal in some way. But I mean, I know that for the other king, uh, the other places it was fine, so it doesn't seem yeah, to cause it's... be a global problem. Yeah, and not, the Earth the, Kingdom has a queen nation. after. Oh, you're right. Yeah, the, the water, water tribe, the now. northern water tribe, is fully patriarchal. Until the southern one is matriarchal, isn't it? Mm, we don't. Mm, we don't know because all the men are gone. Oh, that's true. And um. I well, we know Earth it... Kingdom for sure. Yeah. So I, I, my, I don't have an answer, but my best guess is that she could inherit the throne if Zuko is gone. But I'm wondering if when Zuko... Because even though Zuko was banished, he was banished with an explicit when you accomplish said task, you oh, yeah, back. True. So I actually, I'm wondering like what the actual like would have happened. Like, who the heir actually was. I guess, was Iroh the heir? No. Because he had been turned no. aside. And, yeah, I guess well, it has to be. I mean, cool. there's no way Ozai would have. <laughs> well, no, obviously. I'm just saying, a fish, like, obviously Ozai would have. If, if we're going down the, the path of succession. You know? Yeah. Like, what would. Who's what, next what, in what line? What happens if, if Ozai has a heart attack, like, just randomly? Then I, I guess Iroh probably could have taken the throne. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a very might made right nation. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be like it's gonna be like Frozen in Arendelle before uh, they have a she becomes of age. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's possible. Who, who, wait, who ruled? Okay, who ruled Arendelle before Elsa became uh, queen? We have no idea. <laughs> Damn it! It's very important to me. Sorry. Uh, maybe that'll be answered in this next movie. <laughs> That's true. Uh, um. Uh, yeah, so like, if she if she got what you could argue at least was basically promised to her or her, you know, expected outcome, if not for a hundred year like rebellion, there's you know one person waking up from a hundred year ice nap and destroying eighty something years of carefully planned work. Mm-hmm. She'd be pretty sane. Isn't she hot? Yeah, she's pretty good looking. <laughs> she clearly was a monster long before Zuko was banished. Yeah, but she only showed those tendencies. A personality even a mother couldn't love. Well, that that mother just kind of just kind of did. Hey, that mother mother didn't even try. Come on now. That's <laughs> I don't know. She does like. She gave, she gave up on a child way too quickly. There's a moment where she does like take her aside and is like, "Come on, young lady." It does seem like she was a parent sometimes. 
know, it's just it just like, clearly she was influenced a lot more by her father. I mean, uh, I'm not uh, I'm not a fan of the. Right, I'm gonna of, I'm gonna begin staring back because this episode has turned into us just yeah. like going on ridiculous tangents, which I'm not surprised about because I don't have much to say about this episode, but. We're going to steer the ship back towards Zuko and Iroh. Um, you mean you don't want to talk about all the airbenders that are in the Frozen universe? Sorry. No, we're not going there. There's a tra- In the trailer, there, no. there is an airbender. I said no. Sorry. <laughs> I said Zuko, no. Really? I didn't watch yeah, it. Yeah, so, so uh, what's-his-name gets shot up in the air by a bunch of air, uh, like, oh, no. <laughs> by leaves. So, okay. That's, that's Sorry, continue. Point. I was just, I was just saying, there, there there are benders in the frozen universe. They already were like water icy benders. I mean, uh, beyond beyond water and I ice. I guess they were all ice, and they, none of them actually water benders. So whatever. Sure. We're moving on. Um, okay. <laughs> speaking of us Versus talking about things, bender. something I want to say that I, I think was really good. I really liked in the very opening with Zuko going towards Iroh that there's like no dialogue. We don't even get like a Zuko saying something under his breath. Like it's just we get it from the look, we get it from the music, we get it from the facial expressions. Um, and, and this ties together with something that is probably my favorite line, at least, um, like singular sentence in the entire series, uh, which will be coming up in a few episodes, uh, in Avatar and the Fire Lord, where the first thing that we hear, we, we, for the first time hear Iroh speak, um, because, uh, when he finally says something to Zuko after Zuko learns about his, um, who is actually, you know, to one of his great grandfathers was, and, it's like there's something to his voice that it actually feels like Iroh hasn't said anything in a while. Like it, like it's almost hard for him to speak. And I, you know, that sets up this like there's something so great here about how much character we get from Iroh and, and how much pain we can see from him and how much just like how great his character is. And he literally says nothing for multiple episodes. And yet you can feel every emotion that's coming off of him here. Um, now, because I know how he feels, I'm going to give Corey a minute to talk about this, but Corey, why don't, how, how do you feel about Iroh's sort of this, not plan, but the, the sort of the way he's, he's going about this, where he's, he know I, to me, it feels like Iroh understands that in order for Zuko to actually become good and and start making good choices he needs to come to that choice on his own and he can't be manipulated into that he was manipulated into this choice by azula to sort of go against ang and 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 be fully loyal to the fire nation and i feel like iroh fully recognizes that in like he he has to be quiet here he has to let zuko understand this Do, do you think that he's actually doing that or do you think something else is going on I'm not, I'm not sure, again, if it's, like, premeditated. I think Iroh's just ultimately extremely disappointed in Zuko and has nothing to say to him. Um, I don't think really a lot of this is more so premeditated to where he's like, well, I guess, you know, you just have to talk it out with yourself and find your own way. I think, like, at this point, he's just extremely disappointed and, and hurt right now. Um, and him giving Zuko the silent treatment is more so like I have nothing to say to you while you're in this state of mind um which is why like like I, I again I again I think I'm gonna go back to what he said to him like I was never mad at you I was just disappointed that you lost your way I think that's like this is like the crux of that line right but, there like but the next if few it isn't by that admission though saying that it's not that 
Iroh is sitting there just like, like, like not in anger, but like, I can't even speak to him right now. I, I feel like he, like Iroh has not given up because we like very quickly we're going to see him sort of put this next step in this plan of, of showing him the, the Lost Scrolls so he can sort of learn more about his past. I, I feel like Iroh here is like really knows that Zuko is lost. Zuko is needs, um, you know, has always looked to others to sort of guide him in terms of what he should do. His father said, go find the Avatar. So he went and found the Avatar. He listened to Azula. And I feel like Iroh wants Zuko to make, to sort of make choices for himself and come to something for himself. Because if you're manipulated into something, it's very easy to be manipulated right back. Yeah, I mean, I see your point, uh, absolutely, and I think the seeing Zuko, like, break down in this episode, when he realized, you know, that Iroh wasn't gonna, I guess, I, I think Zuko wanted Iroh to say any. Zuko, since episode one of this season, is, again, I, I said it last week, like, he's very, very, like, melancholy, and, and, like, even though he theoretically has everything he wants right now, he... I, I could do the sense that he feels something is missing in him. So he's very insecure about what he did. So when he went to Zuko, he just wanted to hear anything. Whether yeah. if it's negative, then if Iroh said something negative to him, like I, how dare you, blah, 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 and it was insulting him, it would have reaffirmed his decision. And if it was like the opposite, it would have just, again, it would have been like angering him more. So I think Iroh knew nothing he could have said would be right. Yeah, and that, that was like the only move to make. Yeah, yeah, that that I agree with. I, I I think that there is, like Zuko. I actually feel like wanted almost a fight there. Wanted Iroh to sort of say, you you chose wrong. You chose the wrong path. And then it could have been a, a kind of a back and forth. There could have been kind of an argument. Zuko could have justified himself. And it's like by not engaging, Zuko is forced to sort of go through this completely on his own. Um, and then to kind of see the other side of mis- manipulation. Kind of, we were talking about this scene, but now to kind of dig into the sort of the actual meat of it, like Azula sort of forcing him to question his actions and sort of like worry, well, should I go see Iroh? And I, I think Azula knows that Zuko really needs support and especially Iroh's support. And to make um, Zuko question, should he even go there? I think is a really like it's kind of a good move on her part because she knows if you isolate Zuko, he's prone to making bad decisions. Right. Um, and then finally, we have the introduction of one Sparky Sparky Boom Man, um, also Combustion Man, also many many other things. Um, I have to say, I you know, when I first watched this show as a kid, my God, was that guy terrifying! Like even before the whole blowing things up with his mind thing, like. Just the look of this guy with, like, the, the metal, like, on his arm and the tattoo. And, that, like, that is some terrifying stuff. The head tattoo? It's a bold play. Yeah. It's a bold look. Well, it is technically required for the technique. But... Yeah, yeah. Does he get it? Wait, does he have it already, or does the tattoo give him the technique? I don't know. Do we have a, do we have a, the research done on this? We have not, but there is the the only <laughs> is there actually... combustion bender has the same tattoo. The same tattoo, yeah, I know. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it's some kind of like like cultural thing or like mark the, of like yeah. a cult or a school that they like 
like that you would that like teaches that thing and yeah that makes sense same to the like the point that the airbenders have airbender tattoos like you don't need them to airbend we know that but you know it's it's kind of important cultural part of it mm -hmm. i mean apparently he had the explosion stuff when he was a kid so yeah so it's probably like a if you're when once you got a master of the exploding thing and they give you the tattoos Sorry, combustion bending. Which is a boom, weird boom, term because combustion is just fire, but fire, yeah. <laughs> so anyways. Um well, that's about it. Any you guys have anything else on the on the Zuko side before we wrap this up? Uh, I guess I was gonna say back when you were talking about the whole initial um thing with uh with, with how he walks in and says nothing and it's a whole you could see everything he's thinking. It's one of those cool things that like only film could really do that, or animation. I think animation does it actually better because it's like the equivalent of him saying nothing. You can see everything he's thinking is like someone giving a really, really like, good like Oscar-worthy performance, right? Like it's one of those things where you you praise actors for being able to show emotion without saying words, without like they tell you something without you actually, but for the, without them actually telling you it like verbally. Yeah. Um, so it's like the same thing with. The animation design with like just colors and where they even frame the shot, how they frame the lighting and all that. It's it's like animation animators and directors of animators don't get enough credit for that. Just I just wanted to say that. I, that's so, basically the same thing. And especially the, it's like it's like cinematography. You know, if you okay. get like a really good cinematography, you could like um, show a whole mood and everything. I have I, they'll they'll tell you I praise the cinematography on the show a lot. Yeah, that that that's it. Totally. And like that's the one. That's the example they always give. Like the, whenever um, Zuko's talking to him, that's like whenever someone points out the cinematography and like the design of the show, that's the the shots they always talk about. Yeah, and and, and there is something. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I, good show. Good, good show. <laughs> um. All right. So let's uh, get on to our final thoughts and our rating for this episode. Before we do that, thank you guys uh, for being here, recording this. Thank you guys for, for listening in. Um, and yes, let's let's get going. So, Charles, why don't you kick things off? Your final thoughts and your rating for this episode. Sure. I mean, you, you can't help but appreciate the Zuko storyline pretty much from here until the end. You can't help but appreciate everything they the they do with that because it's like such a fulfilling payoff and such a fulfilling outcome so i have to put that part that half of the episode aside because i just think it's great um the the gang i think i mentioned that this at it at the start um i appreciate it there's certainly issues um but it's not terrible it's just for me unexpected um and i guess having listened to like us all nitpick at bits and pieces of of the actual structuring of that arc or i mean of their side is kind of brought down my opinion a little bit uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with a Six and a half. Okay. Um, Corey, how about you? 
Um, I like this episode a lot. The humor worked for me, and I agree with you guys. It is a nice throwback to um, season one and book one where that's where Aang was. But then I think Aang described it perfectly where he said, like, I need to relive the childhood I never had. Um, so I appreciated that line, um, which really actually helped tie the comedic stuff together for me. And I think it was like, had something that had to be said. And I also think this was an episode that was needed after last week's dark, dark episode where Aang was arguably at his lowest. Um, and I thought the Iroh Zuko stuff was as always a, a 10 out of 10. I stress how much I love their arc and it's some of the all of TV. Um, um, so overall, I think this episode gets um, like a, a good, at least a seven out of me. Because again, it's for out of against like all of Avatar and all of TV, it was definitely above average. Um, but I, you know, I don't, it didn't blow me away. No, none of it like blew me out of the wall. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Chris, how about you? Um. If you separated the two, the gang and Zuko stuff, on their own, both really, really good episodes. Um, what I thought was actually the only thing that brought down this together, the contrast of one being very, very light and the other being pretty, like, dark. I wouldn't say dark, but, you know, serious. Made it a little bit weird going back and forth. Um, uh, I give it a 6-9. Okay. Why not? Sounds good. Um, yeah, right about in the same area. I think the, I agree with Corey, I think that the, 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 um, Iroh and Zuko stuff is, is quite outstanding. I think the Aang, I think the gang stuff is, I think it's pretty average. Um, you know, I, I have issues with it, but I think the choreography and the, the dancing in it, I think is, is entertaining enough for me that I really liked it. So I think that side goes up a little bit. So I'll put this in the, in the good side. I'll give this a 7.2 out of 10. Um, so very, very good episode. Not, not quite in the same tier as some of the others, um, but still quite, quite good. Um, I'm curious, what's the lowest you guys have written? Um, I gave Great Divide below a five. It was like a four or something. I think I, I think I gave Great Divide a five, like on the dot. So I think I five. I think it was, was you get one of, someone gave it a 5.5, someone gave it a five and someone gave it a 4.5. I think it was like literally like the three of us. It just averaged out to five. We were like exactly right in that area. Um, All right. That's probably the lowest think... we've given an episode. Um, I don't know. Whenever we others. make it to a, we didn't really like make it. Bato. And I think. Korra is going to be where I start getting below the fives. Yeah, there is one Avatar episode soon that I don't like very much. I don't like Nightmares and Daydreams at all. Um, but that aside, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Um, all right. So once again, thank you guys uh, for tuning in. Thank you guys for being here, and uh, we will see you next time. Peace.